Once I was a carpenter and man, my hands were calloused. I could swing a metal mallet sure and straight. But I took to the highway, a poet young and hungry, and I left the timbers rotting where they lay. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Little Avid Brothers, once and future carpenter, kicking things off for us. Thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thanks so much for making it a point to spend a part of your week with me. And man, what a great time of the year to be alive in the great outdoors whitetail seasons are rocking and rolling we've got duck seasons opening up across the country uh unfortunately ours here this far south will still be i think it's november 14th is the opener at the tail end of the central flyway all the way down here in texas but i'm seeing folks stacking limits of geese and greenheads in some northern states so hopefully a, a good fall flight is in store We've got quail and pheasant on the horizon. Actually, one of my buddies just went up to North Dakota this past week. Uh, oh, I feel so bad for North Dakota, by the way. I'm not sure if you saw. I posted the story on my Instagram. They issued refunds for 9,000 whitetail license holders due to uh, a, a terrible die-off, a whitetail die-off due to uh, episodic hemorrhagic disease or uh, more commonly known as EHD. So... They have been hit hard by that, and, and that stems from drought. Uh, animals concentrate around available water sources, and the midge flies that carry EHD, uh, it's just like, man, easy pickings for them. They, they bite the deer, they get infected, and there's no cure. They die. Um, some Actually, one of the guys off Instagram commented and said he was up in North Dakota last week and found three deer carcasses. Uh, presumably all died of EHD. So sad deal up there. Uh, and a sad deal for conservation. That's 9,000 licenses that were refunded. That's a lot of money being taken out of the uh, pocket of the conservation initiative, so to speak. Um, anyway, whitetail seasons are going on too. A couple more weekends until the Texas rifle opener. I'm not sure... If your state has a rifle season or maybe muzzleloader, but those will be coming up here. Uh, but congratulations to everybody who has been sticking it out with a bow and arrow. Uh, actually, due to everything else that's been going on, I haven't sat one time this October. That's going to change this weekend, though, and Henry is going to sit with me in a pop-up I set up at the, uh, the deer lease, so... He's amped up about that, although he's he's nudging me about going hog hunting, something that he can actually shoot. Uh, he's never shot a hog, so might let him do that one afternoon and then me uh, just bow hunt in the mornings. But he wants to sit in the pop-up with me, so I said, as long as you can be quiet, dude. This isn't like rifle hunting, uh, serious business, this uh, stick and string stuff. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to give that a whirl this weekend when we get off the air here. We'll head out to the lease. Uh, what else? What else? Western stuff. Uh, I just got back from New Mexico. Lots of big bulls hitting the ground out west. Um, mule deer seasons 
coming up on the heel of archery elk, muzzleloader elk. So much to do. Uh, and today is really going to focus on that trip I just returned from. I spent a week in New Mexico. It was really an adventure that I think I should have done years ago, but never got around to due to uh, the kiddos and, and just life getting in the way. But the dog and I loaded up and we hit the road last week. And I'm going to tell you all about it today. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. In the meantime, while we do that, why don't you pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee. Because coming up, we've got black bear. We've got grouse hunting. We've got a pretty serious injury that happened to old Bell uh, that I had to play uh, Johnny on the spot, mountain man veterinarian. <laughs> uh, we've got fly fishing. We've got it all coming at you right here after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call chat at 830-776-3605. This is Randy Newberg with Federal Premiums Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. Thanks for listening to the Lone Outdoor TV show. <laughs> Radio show. Yeah, just the Lone Star Outdoor show. I work the clubs along the sangre de crystals, polished a diamond in the rough. By the time I hit LA, I was hotter than a pistol. But you're never hot enough, little darling. You're never really hot enough. I felt the Beauty Way, the name of that one from Ray Wiley Hubbard. And uh, I just love that. Alliteration of working the clubs along the Sangre de Cristos Mountains, which is where I just got back from in northern New Mexico. Actually spent some time down south first, but uh, yeah, we're going to get into that momentarily with our friend and houndsman, Devin Chavez. I didn't mention that Devin was going to be here because I, I didn't know if uh, we were going to be able to get him on the phone. He's got hunters in camp right now, uh, but... Glad to say he is on the line, and we're going to jump into that conversation momentarily 
By the way, where are my manners? I'm Cable Smith, and this is SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Speaking of SCI, oh man, COVID strikes again. The 2021 convention that was scheduled in Las Vegas uh, coming up in February has been canceled. And a lot of that is due to concerns over international travel. I mean, the entire hunting community from a global perspective was set to be in Vegas uh, for the event. And it's just, uh, I think, for the safety of the exhibitors and the volunteers and and the members of SCI, it just made the most sense to uh, say, you know what, in the best interest of all these parties, we're going to have to cancel this thing. And uh, we'll pick it back up for usual in 2022. That convention is set uh, for Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas January 19th through the 22nd. And I have no doubt that SCI will uh, continue, as they always have, to work for hunters' rights, work for conservation, and also educating the masses on why sustainable use hunting is the only method that actually works when it comes to conservation. Uh, So, Thanks to SCI for all they do, and uh, disappointed for sure, but certainly understand why the convention was canceled. That being said, let's bring on our first guest today, joining us from uh, somewhere, I believe, in south-central New Mexico. It's my pleasure to welcome Devin Chavez of Bust'em Up Outfitters to the show. Hey, Cable. How's it going, man? It is going well. Uh, I mean, how could it not be? Just had an incredible week in New Mexico. You and your dogs were a big part of that. And just a little background on how we got hooked up. I was supposed to be in uh, British Columbia on a uh, spot and stock black bear hunt, and that got canceled, Canadian borders closed, all that stuff. And was like, well, you know, New Mexico's not far. I've, I've hunted New Mexico plenty of times, never for black bear. And I found you on Instagram, uh, just looking through some of your pictures, or maybe even someone recommended you. Um, and, and you're actually an outfitter for, uh, Mike over at bust em up, uh, outfitters. And so you do elk guiding, um, which is great. I know y'all had a good season. Uh, but what really piqued my interest was you got some pretty good hounds. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how old you were until I, until we actually met when I got to South, I guess it's, was it South central New Mexico where we were hunting somewhere in there? Yeah, we were. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty much south central New Mexico. Where yeah. Thing was Magdalena. Yeah. But. And that's an area of the state I had not previously hunted. Most of my stuff's been up in the in the northern part of New Mexico, for elk and mule deer and grouse and fly fishing, all that stuff. Uh, but y'all have a lot of bears in that area, and so we worked it out. Um, you're when I met you, I said, "How old are you?" And I was pretty surprised by the answer. <laughs> 20 years old. 20. And that's cool because, you know, I've hunted, and I told you a little bit about my experience in Colorado, and um, I hunted with with someone who has 30 years experience doing it. And so to be on the opposite end of that spectrum, someone who is the next generation, you know, my friend Wayne in Colorado, he's not going to be around forever. Um, Running up and down the mountains is not a, it's not an old man's game. So uh, it's, it was great to be with someone who was so passionate about it, also very young and full of uh, spit and vinegar. Um, 
When did you go on your first hound hunt? Oh, my first hound hunt was probably, I'm going to say probably like five years ago. And I actually went with Mike, uh, with Bustin' Up Outfitters. Uh-huh. He's the guy I guide for now. Yeah. Yeah, my my first time, he actually asked me to go on a lion hunt with him. And we went out and searched for some tracks and stuff. We ended up cutting a fresh set of tracks, dumped the dogs out. And yeah, my first ever... My first ever hunt, we ended up catching a lion pretty first thing in the morning. So it was pretty cool. And ever since that, I got pretty hooked. I ended up getting into, I purchased a couple dogs and then ended up buying a couple puppies and training them and stuff. And then here I am today. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And does New Mexico legally have, I mean, do you have to be a certain age to guide? Um. No, actually, I think. I think it might be like 16 or something. Okay. No, I, no, actually, I don't even think I don't even think there's a legal age. I'm not I'm not 100 sure yeah. on that one. Well, I, and I'm just asking because man, it's a it's a lot of a responsibility you have to keep the hunter, you know, their safety in mind. Obviously, your dogs, your these dogs get nicked up a little bit. You know, I see it a lot where I'm from with with hog dogs. Um, yeah. And I know one of your dogs, Preacher. You had hunters after I left, and he got he got uh, his face messed up pretty good. What did you end up having to do with him? Yeah, so what happened with him was um, he actually got he actually got attacked by a fairly good sized bear. I mean, probably probably in the two seventy five three hundred pound range. But uh-huh. that bear grabbed a hold of his face, and and he wouldn't let go and stuff and. The hunter ended up ended up getting him, but yeah, he he ripped that bear ripped his top jaw with his along with his canines and a bunch of his teeth almost completely off. It was kind of just dangling there, and we were like two miles from any any road. So I ended up uh, I had some gauze and some wrap and stuff in my pack, so I ended up kind of shoving it back together and then tying his mouth shut. That way he couldn't open his mouth and bite the piece off because it was kind of trying to knock it off and stuff but uh-huh. and then I, we tied his legs together and i had one of my buddies uh pack him out but he got out of surgery yesterday morning yeah and he he actually looked perfectly if you if you looked at him i wish i would have taken some before pictures because if you look at him now you would think nothing ever happened to him they were actually able to save all his teeth and kind oh, of wow. just reattach everything but that bear had actually bit down so hard that it kind of punctured up into his sinus so when he was when he was breathing and stuff you could hear air going through the top of his the roof of his mouth uh-huh and yeah he so he got he got messed up pretty good but they were able to fix him fix him up completely and he should be ready to go here in probably three weeks wow he wanted to go this morning <laughs> they always <laughs> he, do man they always do yeah they have that drive for the hunt man they they don't want to quit he he was sitting there and uh, in his kennel and he was looking at me and he was barking like he wanted to go but I was like man I wish I could but yeah I don't want to want to risk him getting any more injured oh of course of course and and you know that that's the thing is you ask a lot of these dogs to put their life on the line but at the end of the yeah. day um, it's what they want to do just like you said he was beat up very bad had surgery could have killed him yeah. but the next day, he's like looking at you like you're really not taking me, dude. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he gets all upset. He can't go. Yeah. 
and it and it just shows how much you care about the dogs too. Yes, the, it's a risky thing, but you love these dogs. Um, one thing that before our hunt even started, um, we stayed at a a five star resort down there in Magdalene. No, I'm just kidding. It was it was a, a rinky dinky <laughs> hotel. But the cool thing was they let you stake your hounds out outside. And yeah. what was that stuff you were putting on their feet just to protect their feet? So. What I put on their feet, it's called Bazabom. It's actually used for uh, cow udders. And a guy told me a while back, whenever I first kind of got into it, I had a couple dogs. I was working some dogs pretty hard and stuff. We were lion hunting. And I had a couple dogs that actually blew their pads out. And uh, I was like, man, like, I wanted to kind of keep going and stuff. I know the dogs can't do it without bad, with bad feet and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to a buddy and he uh he recommended that i put this stuff it's called bag bomb it's actually used for those cow udders and stuff but i started putting that stuff on their pads and man with blown pads and stuff they heal up with with a blown pad it'll probably heal up within a week but sometimes they'll get little chunks and stuff kind of taken out of their pads from working in that dry ground and the rocks and stuff so hard Mm -hmm. but that stuff that stuff works wonders man it heals them right up bag bomb that's that's what i that's what i was putting on it uh-huh. I, I usually do it before the hunts, during the hunts. I usually try to do it twice a day in the morning and in yeah. the evening after coming back from hunting or before we start hunting. Mm-hmm. This kind of keeps their pads, keeps their pads good and stuff. But you you really don't want to use a, like a whole lot of it because if you get their pads too soft, then they'll stay too soft. Yeah. And you want them to kind of kind of harden up. So sometimes I'll do it for a few days and then kind of give them a break and. Usually it, it heals those pads up pretty quick, though. Well, they they kind of want to be in the very similar to the animals they're pursuing, right? Like that bear that we caught. If you, I ran my fingers over its pad, and and it was rough, and and yeah. but not cracking. You know, it was rough, but yeah, also, you know, yeah, it was, that's another that's another thing that that bag bomb stuff helps with too. So it keeps their pads from cracking and stuff, and getting like real like brittle and stuff but it does actually like harden up their pads mm-hmm. as long as you're not like putting too much on it if you're just kind of doing like a light coat and you're just doing it like once or twice a day you don't want to like coat it too much and keep it kind of packed on there else it'll put the it'll kind of soften their pads up too much but yeah you want with those with these dogs and stuff you want them to kind of have hard pads because when they're back in that country man it some of that country can be pretty brutal on them how many dogs do you typically run at a time so, if I'm running just by myself, I'll normally take nine. Uh-huh. Usually, if I, if, I have, if they're all healthy and they're all no health problems or they're not injured or anything, I usually take nine. But sometimes if I'm hunting with buddies or if we have, I mean, it can it can range from anywhere from nine. If I'm by myself, it'll be like nine. If, but it can go upwards of. I've, I've, we've we've had 30 dogs out of tree before. It just <laughs> wow. I'm sure that was <laughs> an S show, man. Oh gosh. I can't even imagine. 30 dogs can get, can get pretty hectic. Yeah. Yeah. A lot it, of dogs to, your uh, pack right now, you predominantly have males and I think, you know, people don't realize like, um, unless you're in this realm frequently, you can't run males and, you know, uncut males and, and non spade females together. Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons, even in the guy in Colorado, you know, he had certain like neutered males. He couldn't even run with, with the, uh, 
uncut males because they would, you know, start beating up on them pretty good, like even almost killing them at the tree because there is a hierarchy within these packs. Yeah, I so typically I, I kind of like to keep uh, cut males and spayed females together. Uh-huh. That way, I, I only run, like right now all I have is uh, one adult female that's, she's still intact, but I've kind of kept her to kind of breed into some of my other lions and stuff to get, to keep puppies and stuff out of her. She's she's a good lion and bear dog. She comes from good lions. So mm-hmm. She comes from the old New Mexico bloodline. But yeah, normally I could, I mean if it, if I had to choose, I'd probably just run all males. Yeah. All males is probably easier. Uncut is or cut. Yeah. So basically, yeah. If, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna run cut males, it's best to run all cut males. If, if you're gonna run males that are uncut, it's best to run all uncut uh-huh. males. Yeah, yeah, because I've had I've I've run dogs before. Like I actually have a few that are cut and a few that aren't cut, and sometimes those cut males get a little bit aggressive at the tree and stuff, and they just they're they're weird. Once once you cut them, a lot changes and stuff, and they kind of like they kind of like to pee on stuff and <laughs> right. their territory and stuff whenever they're uh, uncut. And when you cut them, a lot of that kind of bad behavior actually kind of kind of stops and makes them line out pretty good but when you cut them yeah when you cut them yeah yeah Yeah, i prefer i prefer cut now yeah i don't better luck with them sure sure so tell us how you and these these dogs all look different that's the cool thing is some look like uh blue ticks some look like um walkers um you know, black and tan sometimes. I mean, all this stuff looks like it's mixed into these bloodlines. So when people say bear or lion hound, they're not talking about a like a real specific breed. They're just talking about, I mean, is your philosophy, I'm just going to breed my best dog to my best dog? Yeah, so uh, a lot of, like, basically what I'll look, I guess it just depends what I'm looking for, like, at the time. So if I'm trying to find, like, a, if I'm if I need more cold-nosed dogs and stuff, and I'll breed like my be- my best cold nose lion dog to my other best nose, mm-hmm. well, best cold nose lion dog. Regardless of what they look like, you don't even. I mean, that doesn't matter. Yeah, re- yeah regardless of looks or anything. Yeah. Like my the the two uh, or the three walkers I have, they actually their bloodlines go back. They have, if you look back on their paperwork and all their bloodlines and stuff, man, they have just about everything in them. Well, and they're bigger than regular just walkers i mean those yeah. like uh what is um what is the rig dog not mick oh jimmer jimmer i mean he's Jim. he's a big old boy and he he looks like yeah, a walker but walkers are Jimmer's... skinny and i mean and he's not like he's um i mean he's just a bigger frame dog yeah he has that big build on him he's mm-hmm. got that big old head and so a lot of people don't like the big builds because i mean in in different scenarios and stuff I've seen smaller dogs be faster than the bigger built dogs, uh-huh. but it it really just I mean I haven't had any issues as far as that like he's he's able to keep what is I mean I'm, he, can, I'm, he can hold his own. I don't want people to think it. we're talking about a hundred pound dog. He's probably what fifty five sixty pounds. Uh, Jimmer, he's probably sixty five. Okay, and that's on the bigger end for these dogs. Yeah. 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 So a smaller end dog it will probably be in the forties. Probably yeah, low forties. Mm-hmm. What I've seen, 
And, I've seen some hounds that they they look like man. You'll look at them. And they'll I have puppies that are as big as them, and they're they'll be three four year old dogs. It just depends it's all on the breeding and stuff. That yeah. Some people will cross them with a red bone. It's a smaller built dog and stuff. Just a a lot of people like that smaller build just because they're more endurance and they're a little mm-hmm. quicker on the feet and stuff. But it just depends. Well, let's do let's do this, uh, Devin. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and, and talk a little bit about our hunt. All right. Sounds good, man. Good deal. And that segment brought to you by the Stealth Cam Fusion. It's the latest in their great lineup of wireless trail cameras. The Fusion is the most affordable wireless trail camera that I have ever seen. It's so easy to with their new Stealth Cam uh, Command app. Pictures come right to your phone. And no longer do these plans cost like $30 a month. It's like $8 a camera. I think there's one for 5 bucks a camera. I've got quite a few of them out at my lease and highly recommend them. It's the Fusion. You can find it at StealthCamp.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I don't mind things that don't matter these days. Time I spend on worry never pays down the leaves are changing. Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer lease or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give them a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatofDallas.com today. Hi, this is Ted Cruz. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's a reason for the sunshine sky. There's a reason why I'm feeling so high. Must be the season when that love light shines all around us. So let that feeling grab you deep inside. The Bellamy Brothers, let your love flow. Back on the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by SCI. Thanks to our presenting sponsor as well, Lone Star Beer. I'm Cable Smith. Get out there and vote. We've only got a few days left to make an impact in what I believe is, well, certainly the most pivotal election in my lifetime, maybe in U.S. history with the threat of the uh, left stacking the Supreme Court. I believe that's what this election comes down to is that uh, Supreme Court issue. If if most Americans could wrap their mind around voting for policy over personality, we'd be in a lot better shape. So uh, I'll leave it at that. This segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Vortex Optics and the new Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series. I actually took mine out to uh, New Mexico and while I didn't, you know, have an elk tag, I already actually used my elk tag 
in New Mexico three weeks earlier, uh, I was able just to <laughs> set that bad boy up. And the funny thing was is that there were elk hunters screaming around those mountains on ATVs there in the Carson National Forest. Guess what? They weren't having any luck. I don't even think they knew where the elk were because I actually watched one guy on a four-wheeler ride underneath the herd, didn't even know they were there, and the herd bull and about 15 cows just went over the top of the mountain, just crested the mountain, said, Sayonara. And that guy had, you know, he was none the wiser to their existence. And these were rifle hunters, mind you. So especially with the rifle tag, man, get yourself a good spotting scope like the Diamondback HD. You're set. Makes a world of difference. You're going to find animals. It's the quality and performance you expect from Vortex with that lifetime transferable warranty. You break it, they fix it. You can find the Diamondback series starting at, I think, $499.99, and it's right there at VortexOptics.com. And with that being said, let's get back into my time chasing black bears with Devin Chavez of Bust em Up Outfitters. Devin, thanks for sticking around, brother. No problem. So I obviously want to talk about our experience, um, but before I do that, I want to ask you, because you run uh, for black bear and... and uh, mountain lion which one is typically more dangerous for the dog they they both have they can both be dangerous uh i've seen more dogs get killed at lion trees than bear trees yeah mainly because a lot of times the lions don't tree and they bay up in the rocks and they'll catch them on the ground but either i mean it can happen both ways i've caught bears in the ground before that man they're mean they'll start tearing up the dog feet Hmm. if you the most dangerous is when you catch an animal on the ground, just because they're not—they don't want to go up a tree, and they're going to put up a fight. They—they'll feel pressured, and a lot of times, if there's more dogs and stuff, they'll go up a tree. But sometimes, I've seen lions or bears with 12 dogs on the ground, and they—they they, they don't want to go up a tree. There. But mm-hmm. as far as more dangerous and stuff, I'd probably say—probably say a big tom lion on the okay. ground. Yeah. Well, and I and I just in my limited experience, um, which I think I've done, I did 18 days in, in Colorado, and I did one day with you. <laughs> uh, you know, it seems like, um, and and what you've told me, and what my friend Wayne Pinnell told me, the most dangerous thing is when they're on a track and they pick up another track, and like the pack goes this way, or one or two dogs go after yep. the other the other track, and that's when a lot of times tragedy strikes. It can be really dangerous whenever, when there's less dogs on it, the lions or the bears will feel like a lot less pressured. Mm-hmm. So they won't be as scared and they won't they won't want to climb trees or anything. So oh they, yeah, they'll bay right. up and makes sense. The dogs and tear them up. I actually had a buddy last year that he treated a lion and he got to the he got to the tree or he was almost to the tree. The lion jumped, took off, and ended up treeing like. I think 800 yards from where it treed the first time. And so he went over there and he's looking at his GPS and he has like five dogs over there still at the other tree where it was at, but none of them were barking or anything. So he didn't really think anything out of it. He thought maybe the, maybe there was a kitten or something in the tree. Maybe it was a female, but he got to the tree and it was a big old Tom and he ended up letting it go and tied up the dogs he had there at the tree. And he went back to, go get his other dogs and he had five of them that were killed wow 
Yeah, that's tough. But that doesn't, I mean, that's a very infrequent thing. I mean, that's a... Yeah, that that many dogs is pretty, that's a pretty rare mm-hmm. thing, but it, it's, it can happen. That's one, a tough blow for someone who's depending on that for their, you know, in, their livelihood. Yeah, the bad part, too, was like four of those five dogs were like his best dogs. Mm-hmm. So he, he basically kind of had to start over just because yeah. all he had, those were all of his veterans and stuff, and all the dogs in their prime. That's a mean line. That's uh, yeah. no doubt about that. Um, w- when we were bear hunting, you, you had a couple dogs you called rig dogs and, um, these would sit basically, I guess once we got into country where you had, you felt like there was a good chance we'd come across a bear track, you would put, uh, I think Jimmer and Mick was the other one and you yeah. tie them up to on top of the box, on top of the dog box. Explain yeah, exactly so, what's going on there. So for the rig dogs, you'll put them up on the top of the dog box just because when they're on the top of the dog box and early in those mornings, the thermals and stuff are kind of blowing that, like you'll get that breeze kind of that pushes through the canyon. When, you, when you're when you're hunting and you have them on top of the dog box, you want that breeze to kind of come through the canyon. So basically what a rig dog is, is they're the dogs that'll get the, they'll smell the bears from the truck mm-hmm. and they as soon as they smell a bear or lions too, but lions a little more rare just because lions don't cross as many roads and they don't leave as much scent as bears. Yeah. But when those bears leave those, that scent, even they, they could have walked 300 yards on the side of the hill or something. And as long as that breeze is just barely kind of, kind of pushing. And as soon as those dogs hit that scent, man, they'll blow up and they'll start, they'll start letting it out. And typically what I look for is, when they're barking nonstop and they're kind of pulling on those on those chains on the top, wanting to wanting to get off, that's when that's when you know it's fresh. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, if they if there's a lot of bears in the area and they're kind of wandering those canyons at night and stuff, it'll leave it'll still leave scent there. So they're going to hit kind of a colder scent. When they hit that colder scent, it'll kind of just be one or one or two really hard barks, maybe a couple, and then they'll stop. But what I'll do is I'll if I stop the truck and they're not barking, sometimes I'll drive up the road. I'll turn around and I'll come back and I'll cross through that same area. And if they hit again there, then I know that a bear's definitely been in there. But yeah, so basically a rig dog is just a dog that you put up on top of it. They're they're the dogs that get the track started. The cold nose. Yeah. Yeah. They got the, they got some of the best noses to, to smell those bears from, from a good ways. And, uh-huh. Like my two, my two Mick and Jimmer, they won't bark at anything but bear or lion. So when they let when they let let out a a bark or they start going off on top of the dog box, you know it's pretty much game time. Yeah. Well, and we experienced that pretty early on. Like I said, our hunt was only one day. Um, we we got into that area, uh, and we're hunting public land. Um, the dogs start getting a little worked up and. Dude, I mean, they 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 lined out that bear in thirty minutes max. Yeah, pro- probably probably even quicker than that. I mean, yeah, they was... they so they they rigged on the top before we dropped in that canyon. They rigged a little bit. They were smelling something, mm-hmm. and I remember we waited until it got a little bit light, and we kind of checked it again, and then they weren't really hitting. But that wind that wind must have changed or something because. They, we went through there twice before that and they, they were smelling something. But so we dropped into that canyon and I knew that there were some bears back there hitting that water because this canyon 
had a bunch of water back in it. I had acorns and stuff for them to eat. And yeah, as soon as as soon as those dogs kind of free casted out into that back of the kennel, as soon as they hit that water, boom, they rolled out, started opening up, and they got it lined out pretty quick. And yeah, the, the crazy the crazy thing to me was, so they actually went up a canyon they split off to the right started following another canyon and then they kind of side hilled it for a while and that's when we lost a gps reception of them and i hooked up that big antenna Mm -hmm. and we started walking up that canyon and uh picked them up again and they were coming back towards us and i was like man that's kind of weird that normally doesn't happen but they were still barking and stuff and uh, we had those those puppies that were walking next to us and then once those dogs started getting close, those puppies heard those those dogs barking, so they started taking off. And I was watching them on the GPS. As soon as those puppies met up with those other dogs, that's when they showed Shreed. So what I actually think happened, I think that they started running that bear. They jumped that bear, started running it down the canyon towards us, and those puppies kind of ran up there. And then I think kind of cut it off almost and just push it right up a tree right there that's what it seemed like to me because it happened pretty quick and right right and then to get to the tree we had all day to try to figure out like if it was one we wanted to take or if we you know first day do we want to do we want to put our tag on this bear or find one bigger and my main thing was is i wanted just something mature i didn't want to indiscriminately kill something that was young um certainly it's it's illegal to kill a sow with cubs. I mean, nobody wants to do that, whether it's a mountain lion or, or a bear. Um, and I did have a mountain lion tag, so we were good to go on, on whatever the dogs caught. Um, yeah, <clears throat> the dogs, uh, I mean, like I said, they, they lined it out quickly. We get to the tree, and the bear is just sitting in this situa- situated to where we can't see. It's like uh, sexual organs. Don't know if it's a boar or a sow. Finally, we determine it's a mature sow. Yeah, I guess you go to that saying, never pass something on the first day that you would take on the last day. Yeah, exactly. Because there's no guarantee that we would have caught another bear. Probably we would have, right? I mean, the dogs were were working really well. You'd had a successful week the week before with your hunters. But you always roll that dice, and um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Once we, you know, it was like a 230, 240-pound sow, a very nice bear, beautiful black coat. Um no rub spots or anything on it. And so I had a, I had an agenda too. I, I kind of was on this Western adventure with, I took my dog and we were going to go grouse hunting once this hunt played out and maybe do a little fly fishing. So ended up deciding to take the bear, um, which I'm glad we did. Um, just beautiful. Make it, make a great rug. I've taken all the meat to a cinnamon Creek um, processor that I use and She's getting turned into breakfast sausage and hamburger and all that good stuff. Um, lots of fat on her. Very healthy bear. Yeah, it was a, that was an extremely healthy bear. It, it was a little bittersweet, though, because then it was like, well, I guess our hunt's over. <laughs> and I was, you know, I barely got to know the dog's names. That's my favorite thing is like spending a week with these dogs and getting to know their personalities. And by, I guarantee you by the end of the week, had I spent more time with you, I could have identified each one of their barks like I know yeah. you can. Um, and I, and I just like soaking up all of that knowledge and, and learning from, from someone like yourself as a 20 year old in this game, what does it mean to be a houndsman versus just someone that runs dogs and, and catches bears or lions? 
Um, I don't know. To me, so whenever I first kind of got into it, I, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, it's cool to kill lions and bears. But I, I don't know for me, it's kind of about watching the dogs, just watching the dogs work and stuff. That's what got me. Uh-huh. Being able to see a dog grind out a track and stuff and track down like a big old predator like that just it was that's that's what got me hooked and as far as like killing bears and stuff yeah like it's it's cool it's cool to bring in clients man and get them on their once in a lifetime bear once in a lifetime mountain lion and stuff but for me it's it's mainly about the dogs just kind of watching those dogs work get in get in to watch those dogs turn into their prime over the years and stuff start from the bottom of uh-huh. puppies and grow and stuff it's it, it just tickles me and i love hearing that from someone your age because I, I do think that there is a fraternity of of younger houndsmen who who kind of i think they have a lot of maturing to do they, they kind of kill indiscriminately i think any tom yeah, dick or harry can cut a cut a lion track in the snow right i mean that's not a hard thing to do you drive the roads you see a track you turn your dogs loose if you have a couple good dogs i mean a lot of people can do that but what you're what you've just um explained here is that it's about the dogs it's about the, the love of the chase and the hunt and now you actually hunt all the time on your own even when you don't have clients and then you let all the majority i mean you you have a bear tag every year you kill one bear but it's not like you're going out there taking a mountain lion on your own terms every year yeah, yeah, I I'll carry tags and stuff because legally uh, you have to have tags to pursue the animal uh-huh. and stuff. But I mean, for me, if if it's a like the bear I harvested this year, I treed fifteen bears before I killed that bear, and that was the biggest bear, probably about the biggest bear I've ever treed. And so, well, it's gonna go top five in in New Mexico all time. So yeah. don't uh, don't. Don't be shy about that, Devin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I was kind of skeptical about it and stuff, but after seeing a bear of like that caliber and stuff, I, I couldn't pass it up. But yeah, as far as, uh, yeah, I mean, I mainly just like watching the dogs work. I mean, a lot of people can drive around and dump on a fresh snow line track, but I'd rather hike back in a canyon and start a track that's, a day and a half two days old and watch those dogs grind out that track and work it from sun up to sundown and then come back in the morning and start where we left off and work it and eventually we'll catch up to it yeah i love to hear it man i love to hear it like i said i've done i've been on opposite ends of the spectrum and all you know about somebody through their social media page is is what a picture tells you that doesn't tell you anything about their personality um exactly and so to actually to to get into the backcountry with you, put boots on the ground, and, and chase these dogs, albeit a short chase, but a chase nonetheless. Uh, man, it was it was a hoot. It was everything I wanted. Um, and uh, and like I said, next time hopefully you never want to say, oh, I don't want to catch one the first day, but maybe next time we'll catch one on the second day. <laughs> yeah, it's a hunt a little longer. Well, man, you've got some great dogs. I I am. Uh, proud of you for, for just the mentality that you have, and and it's great to see someone that's, that's wise beyond their years. We'll just put it that way. That that gets it and and is in it for the love of the game. Um, I look forward to our next adventure, brother. Thank you, man.
I appreciate it. I appreciate everything you said. It means a lot. I look forward to our next one too. And if folks want to book a hunt with you, they can go. Uh, I'm looking at Mike's uh, Instagram. It's uh, Bust 'Em uh, Bust 'Em Up Outfitters. You can follow uh, Mike there. Mike has some hounds too. So you guys are a lot of times y'all are both running uh, hunts for for bear or or mountain lion. He also does elk. And then Devin. Um, if you want to give your personal uh, Instagram, folks can follow along there. Where, where are you at? Uh, so my personal is... I think it's just really Devin cool. Guides New Mexico, isn't it? Yeah, so it's Devin underscore Guides underscore New Mexico. Right on. You can you can follow me, get in contact with me if you want to book a hunt, and then we can get you situated and stuff and get it all get it all worked out. But Perfect. Well, man, thanks again. Heck of a hunt. And uh, like I said, I look forward to the next time we're in the backcountry together. No problem, man. Thank you. I look forward to the next one, Cable. So there he goes, our good friend uh, and a fine young man, Devin Chavez, who uh, really has embraced the houndsman's lifestyle at a very young age. Love it. Absolutely love it. The future looks bright for one of my favorite pastimes. Uh, that segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Check out the Big Chingon. I keep telling you, if you want to introduce your kiddos to hunting this fall, maybe get your son or daughter their first doe. Big Chingon is a perfect way to do that. Keeps you warm, keeps you high and dry during those wet, dreary, overcast winter days. It's got carpet. It's got cup holders. It's got windows for archery and rifle whatever you want it's the big chingone perfect for just you or for you and the kiddos you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com coming up next the new mexico adventure continues as bell and i head off for the sangre de cristos mountains in search of blue grouse and i'll tell you how that played out after the break on the lone star outdoor show just as free Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coon Stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at 3curl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. 
They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Things are fixing to get real good in the honky tonks. You know I'm understood. Been to the school of hard knocks and hard wood hand. Things are fixing to get real good. There's some double D for you today. The great Daryl Dodd bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you. As always, I do appreciate it. We're about to pick things back up in northern New Mexico as Bell and I made our way to the Carson National Forest to hunt blue grouse. But first, this segment is brought to you by First Light's Catalyst Whitetail System. It's perfect for you, the whitetail hunter, especially if you're in more of a uh, warmer climate, like, say, the south. The Catalyst is all you'll need. For those sits where temperatures are in the 40s, 50s, uh, layer up a little and you'll be comfortable in the 30s. The Catalyst shell jacket and matching pants are quiet, stealthy, right, for bow hunters. They're rugged, not going to get snagged on stuff. And my favorite thing is, I've noticed, they really do a great job at breaking the wind. And uh, they're not waterproof, but certainly water resistant. So a light rain. No issue there. It's the Catalyst. You can find it at firstlight.com. Firstlight, go further. Stay longer. All right. Uh, Well, let's pick it back up here on Bell and I's epic New Mexico adventure. At this point, we've made our way from south central New Mexico up to Taos, where the goal was to chase blue grouse. And I had another uh, area in mind that I wanted to go where I knew there were tons of grouse, the Pecos Wilderness. But unfortunately... You can't take an e-bike into there. Or fortunately, either way, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but no e-bikes. I had my quiet cat. And so we went up to the uh, the Carson outside of Taos. And after about a dozen or so years of, of chasing grouse, uh, I pretty much knew what to look for. I'm not a professional uh, in that realm by any means. But I do have, like I said, a dozen years worth of knowledge on where to find these guys in September well, my reference point was always September, so here's October. The cool thing about grouse, and I think there's a misconception about them, is especially blues, or some people call them dusky grouse, is that they do not go down in elevation as temperatures fall and uh, snow starts to accumulate. I've been mountain lion hunting and seen them at 10, 11,000 feet when there's four or five feet of snow on the ground and they're hanging out right up there at the... Uh, Timberline. So, yeah, you got to go high to get into these creatures. And delicious they are, by the way. My favorite upland species, really white, tender meat. And so, uh, heading into it, you know, Bell and I got up to about 10,000 feet to really start looking. And the first day, it became very apparent that these grouse had been hunted and had been molested by, you know, four-wheelers and, and elk hunters for some time because they were a lot of times flushing out of trees instead of off the ground, which made for some very sporting, uh, sporty shooting. But we found, I think we got seven flushes the first day. Um, 
got four the second day, and the, the wind was just whipping. I mean, I thought at night our tent uh, was going to blow away with, with Bell and I inside of it. It was it was howling, to <laughs> say the least. And grouse don't want to be out in that wind any more than other creatures. So uh, they were kind of hunkered down. Day two, four flushes. Day three, did a half day, only got one flush, one bird. Uh, but plenty of grouse up there. And here's where I found them, um, which I think is important because they were all kind of relating to the same features. And that was wherever you found a mountain seep or spring or trickle running down a canyon wall um, mixed in with these firs and aspen trees, uh, that's where the grouse were, were hanging out. And you notice these areas because whether it's like a little trickle crossing a, a logging trail or something of that nature, you'll notice that everything is green around it, even when everything else has started to die off or turn brown for the winter. Uh, and, of course, other animals, elk and mule deer, uh, they relate to these type of uh, areas as well. Um, but so when we found one of those, and, and usually we were walking old logging trails, which a cool thing was is that they had all of these logging trails just blocked off, like they had taken bulldozers and blocked the entrance so you couldn't take an ATV up there uh, for the most part. So anyway, find one of those areas where there's a trickle, a stream, and then start bushwhacking up or down, whichever one looks less daunting to you. You know, if you go down, you got to come back up. Uh, but if you start out going up, hey, the downhill's not so bad uh, walking out. So bushwhack your way up and down those seeps and, you know, drainages. And the grouse are relating to that if there's trees. Like if there's firs, they're going to be there. Uh, that's where we found 90% of the birds we flushed. And, uh, yeah, dietary-wise, right now, well, going back to September, if you opened up one of their crawls, you'd find a, mostly clover and then some fur needles in there. Right now, 100% fur. Like, that is all they're eating. The clover, you could see it on the ground. It had turned yellow, was dying. They don't want to eat that. doesn't have the nutritional value now. So they've switched to... Literally 100% Douglas fir needles or Engelmann spruce. There's not as many Engelmanns, but there are some, and they'll eat those as well. But it's amazing to see that these birds can live off of just essentially pine needles. Like, they get the nutritional value they need out of that stuff. It's amazing. Um, but that's what they're eating right now. So, you know, find those areas. You're going to find the grouse. And, you know, if you want to bushwhack, they'll be in that in the timber too. Um, no doubt about that, especially if there's a lot of thick undergrowth, um, if you can find any type of briars, you know, they want to be in cover middle of the day. They, they're more prone to come out and, and kind of get into the sun on edges of meadows, uh, things like that. But yeah, get to 10,000 feet and you're going to find them if you relate to the types of areas I've, I've talked about here. Also, uh, Kent cartridge, fast lead. Big fan of that load. Just dropping the hammer at like 55 yards on these grouse as they're flushing away down the mountainside. Um, yeah, I had it's actually designed for pheasant, and I was using number six shot. Deadly, deadly stuff. Highly recommend it. Um, the only other really bad thing that happened, the only thing that bad thing that happened the whole trip was, so I guess on that first day when we're hunting, Bell took a pretty bad nick from a, a lay down and I actually found it 
so random. I found the stick that stabbed her the next day. It had a bunch of lab hair and blood on it. Imagine that. But I didn't even know she was cut until it had to have been a couple hours after it happened because I have a video of her retrieving our first grouse of the trip. Went back and watched it, and sure enough, she's got this gaping gash in her shoulder that I completely missed until we sat down for lunch. So then I had to play veterinarian with a medical kit that was designed for humans, which the tape and stuff really didn't want to stick to her fur. Uh, but, I mean, this was like a, like a tennis ball-sized just opening up in her front shoulder, barely into the muscle. It wasn't bleeding a lot, but I was really worried about infection. Got a, a text out to Aaron, my wife, um, asking her you know, what to do, if I should just scrap the whole hunt and take her into Taos to a veterinarian. Uh, I did happen to have doxycycline in my uh, DOP kit, and so Aaron said that, yes, you can give that to a dog. So got her on an antibiotic and cleaned that thing out with uh, water, punched holes in the top of a, a water bottle lid, like a plastic water bottle, and just squeezed it um, so it was like a shower head just spraying on there and then did the same thing <laughs> had some maker's mark in uh in another plastic bottle you know all about saving weight so no flask just a plastic bottle and poked some holes in that lid and uh shot some of that in there bell took it like a champ didn't even wince so got it as clean as possible put a bandage on there a little antibiotic ointment and then had a wrap in that medical kit that uh, i ran from in front of her well, underneath her belly and then behind her front left shoulder, really kind of hindered her walking. And by the middle of the second day, she pulled the whole thing off and just I ended up having to clean it again that night. Uh, but she wasn't not going to go hunting, and she never winced or let on that it was bothering her. It was bothering me a lot more than her, just looking at how awful it looked. And she'll certainly have a scar there. I did get a text out to a veterinarian in Taos, and they said, well, it'll be 500 bucks to bring her in because of after hours emergency fees then a hundred dollars because she's 10 i was like what does her age have to do with he was like well she's an older dog uh and then after that it'll be whatever it actually costs so stitches all that stuff like a thousand bucks i looked at bell and said i love you sweet girl you're obviously not in much pain here and uh you're just you're just gonna have to have a pretty scar baby girl because <laughs> daddy's not paying that for a uh, superficial wound at the end of the day and i am one who on my old dog maverick dropped um three grand two times on each of his back knees to have those repaired so uh i'm not uh shy about spending money on my my hunting buddies but that was one that was just yeah we're not doing that plus we wanted to keep hunting so she was all good uh ended up cooking up the grouse in a little bit of oil from a uh Smoked oyster can, a tin that I'd had that day for lunch. Delicious. Mixed them up with some ramen noodles, and that sure as hell beats another mountain house uh, freeze-dried meal. Let me tell you that. Those things will give you the runs. Uh, so fresh grouse on the mountain. Also shot a few squirrel that first day. Uh, it took us till like mid-afternoon to really get into the grouse, and so I started looking at those tree rats and was like, really want some meat. And it's, uh, it's like this. It's like ordering filet mignon uh, at a restaurant and then bringing you a Salisbury steak comparing uh, grouse to squirrel. But we ate some squirrel too. Uh, nothing wrong with those. And uh, just overall, a great trip in God's country, which uh, we're going to continue 
and wrap it up here after the break. Talk a little fly fishing as I hit up a new part of New Mexico I'd never fished before. Uh, that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. After the break, we'll hit the Rio Grande in search of brown and rainbow trout on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Honey, don't you be yelling at me when I'm cleaning my gun. I'll wash the blood off the tailgate when deer season's done. We got one more weekend to go. And I'd like to kill one more doe. The evolution of thermal technology is something that keeps getting better and better and becomes more cost-effective for the consumer. And the new Pulsar Helion 2.0 set the gold standard when it comes to thermal monoculars. It's what I've taken everywhere from the backcountry to just walking into a tree stand so that you don't blow out that wary old doe. It's going to give you up to that trophy buck, right? Uh, But it's the the Helion 2.0. It's got the incredible color palette options, user-friendly interface, internal recording, and get this, you'll save 20% off any Pulsar thermal or night vision monocular or binos when you use my promo code Lone Star underscore PL. That's Lone Star underscore PL when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I got peace of mind and elbow room. I love to smell the sage in bloom. I catch a rainbow on my fishing line. We got county fairs and rodeos. Ain't a better place for my kids to grow. Just Turn them loose in the western summertime. The late great Chris Ledoux, Western Skies, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by SCI. Cable Smith here with you. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. As we're about to head up to the Rio Grande and wet a fly line here momentarily. This segment of the show, however, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. You know, with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas, Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for a dozen years or so, uh, from trout to exotics to whitetail to full-body black bear mounts, you name it. All of my African safaris, uh, they do amazing work. They offer fast turnaround time, and they answer the phone when you call. You can find them at GR 
the number eight mounts.com. So to wrap up what I am calling the uh, last great adventure, maybe it was the first great adventure, right? Because I hadn't done this type of trip before where, you know, there was one thing planned bear hunt. And then after that, just the world is your oyster, just you and the wilderness and your four legged best buddy. Uh, so the cherry on top though came, we packed off the mountain and headed back into towels and, and I highly recommend this, uh, for an area that you haven't fished before. Like if I was up in red river or broken bow, Oklahoma, you know, I, I have those places down. I don't have to book a guide and I probably didn't have to book a guide here, but to learn the river, um, I think it's a great idea to just do like a half day trip. Uh, so my guide Charles uh, booked it there at the uh, Taos Fly Shop uh, the day after I shot the bear. So I knew I was going into the backcountry for like three and a half days, come out and have uh, some time to do a little predator hunting, which Bell and I did there in the Carson, uh, calling coyotes. Do check your state regulations uh, because they will determine whether you can use thermal or night vision. Um, in the state and therefore on the forest land. Anyway, back to fly fishing the Arroyo Hondo Canyon. Beautiful stretch of the Rio Grande. And here's why I, I really feel like I like that area more so than fly fishing Red River. It's just so wide open. The river's wide. And I'm not a, a novice fly fisherman, but I'm far from an expert. And so, yeah, I spend a decent amount of time hung up in uh, overhanging limbs, that kind of stuff and sitting on a rock messing with fly line <laughs> for, you know, seems like hours on end over the course of a day, not an issue when you find a, an open stretch of the Rio Grande. And this whole thing was just pristine, lots of colors, changing trees, changing color, more like Oaky down there. Cool little antidote. Um, we're walking in, hiking in down to the river. I look up and there's four bighorn sheep just looking at me like 30 yards away. Clearly they're not hunted in this unit because they had very little fear of humans. And I've seen bighorn in New Mexico plenty of other times, but the ewes are really the only ones that tolerate like human interaction or, or being close to humans. The rams typically are like way up on the cliff looking, watching their ewes, but you know, they're not stupid. Uh, these guys, no fear. I'm like 30 yards away, and two of them are just slammers. Um, it's like number one animal on my North American bucket list, but I'd either have to win, you know, the draw lottery in the state to get a tag or the actual lottery lottery so that I could afford a a, a tag. I mean, they're like 50 grand. <laughs> so certainly not anything that's in my immediate future, but just so cool to be right up there close to them. Um, also, we're walking in, and then, Charles is walking in front of me and I said to him, uh, Hey man, I just am a little confused. I don't see a stringer. Like where, where are we going to put these fish? <laughs> it's so rude of me. I know. Uh, he just looks back at me mortified and is like, D did you want to keep some fish? And I was like, yeah, man, I mean, we're going to be catching trout, rainbow trout are like great eating. Aren't we going to keep them? Totally messing with this dude. He doesn't know me from Adam at this point. He's like, oh, man. Uh, and I could see he's getting real uncomfortable. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I said, I, I'm just messing with you, buddy. Uh, we, d we don't need to keep any fish. It's like guides getting high on their own supply. 
uh, when you start taking fish out of the fishery. And, and I'm not against it, but you know, typically when you book a trip, it's catch and release. Uh, so hired Charles to show me this beautiful stretch of the Rio Grande. And uh, we had, uh, I think, two nymphs, uh, submersibles underneath a strike indicator, which really was just a dry fly. And, you know, if you've done a lot of fly fishing, you can pick out the spots where two currents come together or a boulder that has what they call a pillow in front of it or behind it where the trout can, you know, kind of get out of the fast-moving water but still rush in there to grab a bite to eat and then go back to the safety of the, uh, you know, the boulder. Uh, all these type of areas, um, deep pools, y- you know what to look for. And so that wasn't new to me, but um, Charles would really just say, hey, throw it right there, and, you know, if I could make a good cast, then we're in business. I think I caught five fish three rainbows, two little brown trout, which all the brown trout are 100% native at this point. Uh, They do stock rainbows occasionally, I think once or twice a month. Um, But like I said, so different from the Red River and just a stone's throw away in a different part of New Mexico. And I, I think I much prefer the Rio Grande. So caught five nice fish, lost another five, including, man, oh, I'm still having nightmares over this. About a 16-inch wild rainbow. You could tell the difference because, and I asked Charles, I said, why was that fish so much more vibrantly colored than the other rainbows we've caught? And he's like, well, chances are those were mostly stocked fish. And some of them hold over from years before, but this one was 100% wild. You could tell it's just like flame red on the side of this rainbow trout. Just gorgeous. And a giant got him right up to the net and he got off. Just sometimes you can do everything right. Keep your rod tip high. Keep that tension there, and they just get off. And there were plenty of times where I, I didn't keep my rod tip high, but I had pretty much learned my lesson by then, you know, constant reminders from Charles, uh, and things that I already knew, but it's easy when someone is there telling you, hey, keep your rod tip higher, and on this fish, just, man, unlucky. Spit it out. Uh, heartbreaking, but we still caught some fish and had a wonderful afternoon. And now I now I know a uh, a new stretch of river that I could go back to and fish at any time. Um, so that's really, in my opinion, what you're paying for when you go with a guide, uh, because now I just go back there whenever I want. But uh, yeah, what what were the fish biting? Just submersible nymphs. Um, was throwing a five weight. Uh, had a five weight rod, and I took all my own stuff. You know, I didn't know if I'd be able to get a guide, so I was prepared to go, regardless of whether. Or not, I could find a guide. To be frank, I didn't know if I'd be going to Red River or Taos or wherever in the land of enchantment. Uh, There was no set schedule. So just kind of was calling around and ended up landing on the Taos fly shop. Got it all organized and wanted to see a different part of the state. So that's what we did. Uh, Really, like I said, cherry on top of an epic week in the land of enchantment. The state that I've spent you know, after Texas, the most time hunting and fishing in, in my life. Uh, it's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, truly it, it lives up to that moniker of the land of enchantment. Highly recommend that, you know, if you can fit something like that into your schedule, uh, even without the bear hunt, uh, if you could spend some, a few days in the backcountry grouse hunting with your dog and then fly fishing, it's just, uh, it's tough to beat that. My soul feels revitalized. That is for sure. Uh, That segment of the show 
was brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Just looking at the clock. We got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to our guest, Devin Chavez, uh, my friend and houndsman. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Uh, Representative Dan Crenshaw is on the books for next week, so you won't want to miss that. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Bye, bye,